she'd tell you that it's not possible to really care and not be involved. She was attacked on a street in New York City and brutalized for almost an hour. She would be attacked, she'd get away from her attackers crying for help and they would attack her again. And for an hour, this lady was brutalized until she died. 38 people were eyewitnesses to the assault and not a single one did so much as call the police. Not long after that, a man by the name of Andrew Mormel was mugged by some thugs on a subway in New York City. He was stabbed seven times and left lying in the subway car to bleed to death. Eleven people stepped over his body and walked out of the subway and not a single one did anything to help. Maybe not so dramatically as the story of a lady by the name of Eleanor Bradley. She was shopping on Fifth Avenue. Busy time of the day on Fifth Avenue, she fell and broke her hip. And while she was lying on the sidewalk, calling for help, people passed by, some stepped over her body. Not for 10 minutes did she cry for help, not for 20, but for 40 minutes until finally a cab driver got her in the cab and took her to a hospital. Now the common denominator of all this was when asked, why didn't somebody get in, why didn't somebody do something? The, 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 the common denominator, the answer given was, we just didn't want to get involved. It is not possible for you and I to say, or a Christian to say, I love, but I just don't want to get involved. Because love not only needs an object, love needs a way of expression. Now there are a lot of churches that have wonderful Bible studies, but the Bible doesn't say, now abides faith, hope, and Bible study. And the greatest of these is Bible study. And there's some wonderful churches that have great facilities, but the scripture doesn't say, now abides faith, hope, and great facilities, and the greatest of these are great facilities. The Bible says, in essence, that the greatest need that you and I possess is the need to be loved and the need to love. And it is a love that must find a way of expression, must be involved. Now that kind of loving life that gets involved and that kind of life living, uh, way of living is not possible apart from God. It must begin with God. The only way that a person can love to the point of becoming involved is a person who knows God. It has to begin with Him. And so we go back to chapter 12, verse 1. And what he says in chapter 12, in verse 1, is that a person must come to a place of consecration. That is, he puts his life at God's disposal. And he says to God, God, here is my life. It's reserved for you. I place my life at your disposal and you are free to do with your, my life what you please. It's called consecration. And when that happens, 
What God does is to do a work of inner transformation. It's the only way that a person can love another person is that he have this inner transformation that comes when he places his life at God's disposal. It's the only way you and I will ever love the unlovely. It's the only way that you and I will ever move out of our little circle of selfishness and get involved in the hurts of other people. It is when a person experiences the inner transformation that comes when he places his life at God's disposal. And it is not only, no, it does not only begin with God, it begins within himself. Now watch this. Jesus said, when asked what is the greatest commandment, he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, etc., and love your neighbor as yourself. Now I have a feeling that, that as often is the case in Scripture, you begin at the back and work forward. In other words, it is really not possible for you to love another or to love God until you love yourself. So it begins within. And the Apostle Paul, as we studied last week, moves on to try to establish a basis for self-love. And he establishes a basis for self-love by showing us how God has involved us in His supernatural plan in the world. He has given us a purposeful reason to live, and that purposeful reason to live is that He has placed us within the body, and He's gifted us to perform a task that God's people can only perform, and that gives us the excitement for living. Now, the result of one coming to grips with himself and accepting himself and loving himself and coming to the place where he can place his life at God's disposal, the result of that is this inner transformation that causes him to love with a love that gets involved. Now there's some characteristics of this love, two major characteristics. The first is that it is not hypocritical. Did you notice it? Let love be without hypocritos, without a mask. Now watch this carefully. It is not a love that is played out on a stage as an act. It is genuine love. It is not a performance. It's not an act. It is that which springs from this transformed inner life. It doesn't hang up the phone, you know, it doesn't answer the phone and, you know, and say, well, I'm so glad you called and hang up the phone. I said, man, I always say that person, I mean, I, I'm going to take the phone off the hook. I'm getting tired. It's not that kind of thing. A number of years ago when uh, we were in college, my, uh, I was pastoring a little country church running about 11 people on a good Sunday. And I thought I was Billy Graham. I, 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 I preached his sermons. I, you know, 11 folks. And Margaret got pregnant and we decided, well, that's too far to drive on weekends. So we started looking for a church for a while in Abilene. One Sunday night, we went to this church. Never will forget it. 
the preacher got up and and uh, he was you know spending a little time you know just kind of chewing the fat with the folks you know just kind of off the cuff kind of stuff and he was telling them how much he loved them and he and he said you know and after a while we started counting you know he was talking and I just you know how much he loved those people and when we left both of us just kind of you know we just kind of said to one another did you get the idea that he really didn't? You know, he's just kind of trying to convince them. Listen to me carefully. It is really hard to convince somebody you love them when all you do is say it. And what that looks like to another person is, that's just a that's just a mask. That's, that's not the real. That's just a, an act he's going through. It is without hypocritos. It's without hypocrisy. It's not a play act. And don't you know when somebody really does? You know what I'm saying? All right, the second thing, characteristic of it, it is, it is this. It is discriminatory. It, it discriminates. Now you and I don't like that word because it smacks of taking sides. But love does take sides. And this is what he, how he talks about it. This, is, this is, the, is the discrimination. He says it abhors that which is evil. And the word means to withdraw or to reject or to separate from. Now listen to me young people. Genuine love rejects evil or wrong. And it withdraws from that. Now, so oftentimes, we, we, we ask others to do something with us that's wrong under the name of love. But genuine love, God's kind of love, the love that comes in the inner transformation, rejects the evil, separates from it, and stands against it. Now, he says, abhor that which is evil. Recoil, it should recoil us. It, it literally means, in you know, language they'd use in Knox County, it, it, it's so distasteful, it makes you up, Chuck, to think about. Now, it seems to me that what we need to recover is the emotion of horror. We, we've, we've, we've substituted tolerance. We've seen so much violence on television and so much immorality displayed on the screen in the, under, the, under the guise of normality that we've come to accept that as, as the normal. It's hard to recoil to some of that. And... and, and has, in disappearing from our lifestyle is this horror as we look at evil. He said, here is the characteristic of God's kind of love. It, it, it separates itself from evil and it glues to that which is good. So the love that he's talking about sees the wrong and fights it and it sees the right and clings to it. It discriminates. Now, there are several accompanying objectives. 
in verses 10 through 13. Now, now, now look at this. Watch this. Remember that we're talking about a love that must have expression. We're talking about love that must get involved, and he, he, he gives us ways that this love is to be expressed. First, there is devotion and commitment. There is devotion and commitment. It's the love of a family. Now look back at verse 10. He said, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now that word brotherly there is the word storgos, and it means, it's really the description of the kind of a love that a child has for his mother, really. And the word love there is the word phileo, and we know that's the highest kind of human love. Philadelphia comes from that, the city of brotherly love. And what he's describing really is, is this kind of devotion that is just normal in the family. Brotherly love. Now he's saying this, he's saying that we are to treat one another with the same kind of devotion that we treat the family members. And there's a commitment and devotion to one another. I wonder if, um, if something went bad in your family. I wonder if something went bad in your life. The first people you'd want to tell about it would be the folks that are here tonight. I wonder if, if something goes wrong and, 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 and you, you get hurt or you make mistakes or you fail, I wonder if you feel like that you could still count on the commitment and the devotion of this group. Could you? Do you sometimes feel like that the people who give up on you first and betray you first are your own family? Second, he says there is an unselfishness about this love. It has an, it, it has an objective of unselfishness, verse 10. He says, give preference to one another in honor. It's the idea of showing respect for someone else. It's the idea of giving honor to another without taking it for yourself. It's like stepping back, you know, and letting somebody else have the honor. Wiry tells about the most humble man he's ever known. His, he, he said his name was, was Karens, Bishop Karens. And he said this, this guy was so humble. And he said one day they, there were several men were going to be platform guests, and they were all coming single file upon the platform. And, and when Bishop Karens stepped upon the platform, people began to applaud. He was so loved and respected. But Bishop Karen thought they were talking about the guy, they, they were applauding the guy behind him. And he just stepped back and started applauding himself. Said Ryrie, this humble man, it, to this humble man, it never occurred that he was the one that was to be honored. The kind of love that, that's, that's so intense that it wants everybody else to get the applause and the honor and the preference. 
third. It's a love that has genuine enthusiasm. He says, be aglow with the Spirit. Be, it means boiling in enthusiasm, and it refers to passionate desire. Let me ask you, have you lost the burning heart? I don't have to ask that question. I can tell by looking in your faces. I remember I joined this little old country church I was telling you about, and I preached about 30 minutes and screaming and hollering and waving my hands and shouting to about 11 people there. Been Christians for about 100 years. After it was over, I joined the church. Probably the only two people joined that church that whole year was Margaret and me. And, and uh, after, when I joined the church, the head deacon got up he, to, to receive us. There, there was one, two deacons. He was the head deacon. His name was Elmer Rogers. Never will forget him. He got up and he said, we get these boys from the college and they're all fired up. He said, they come out here, they're all worked up in a frenzy. He said, he'll cool off. <laughs> Just kind of apologizing. <laughs> he'll cool off. What he didn't say was, if he won't, we will cool him off. <laughs> we'll throw a little cold water on him. The, tra the sad thing about it was, he was right. Some boy went up to Spurgeon and said, you're always on fire. You're, 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 you're always enthused. Tell me the secret. He said, young man, go home, pour some coil oil on yourself, kerosene on yourself, and set yourself on fire, and they'll come just to watch you burn. When you and I get a glow with the Holy Spirit and a glow with love, They'll come just to watch us burn. You talk to a young couple just back from their honeymoon. I bet you hated to come home. No, I couldn't wait. We couldn't wait to get back. We were bored all of it. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. I bet you are so in love. Yeah, we're really in love. You, you know that? No, they don't say that. They can't touch the ground, you know. I'm looking at a couple. Still on their honeymoon. Here <laughs> in this all a glow with love. And he said, Fourth, rejoice in hope. It's a, a hope that focuses on the future and refuses to get bogged down. It's not negative. It believes that the best is yet to be. It's a love that looks at someone and, 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 and doesn't say, hey, you just got this wrong with you and that, and I can't love you because this is, you know. It's the kind of love that says, ah, that's not you, the way you're acting. You're better than that. See? It's able to see beyond the present or the potential. You can be better than that. It rejoices in hope. And it always lives in the anticipation that this person that, that needs my love is, is going to be better than they are. And then there's perseverance. Look at that. Persevering tribulation. Verse 12. Means to endure. Even when that person fails, you keep on loving them. 
when that person's unlovely, you love them yet. It has staying power. And someone builds a wall around themselves and won't let you in, you find a way to scale the wall. I'm going to love you anyway. And they dig a moat and you build a bridge over it. And you say to, you say to them, you can reject me and you can reject my love, but I'm going to love you anyway. And you're unlovely, but I'm going to love you yet. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not going to give up on you. And you may put me at arm's length and you may cast me out, but I'm not going to stop loving you. And it's six. It's devoted to prayer. Are you surprised to see that when he talks about love that's involved, it's devoted to prayer? Because there's a link between perseverance and prayer. You learn how to love through prayer. And you can't badmouth an individual if you're praying for him. I dare you to try. I just can't love him. I dare you to spend a month devoted to praying for that person and at the end of that month still not love him. The way you learn to love somebody is to pray for them. He says, devoted to prayer. And it's what Stephen was. And when he was dying, there's old Saul standing over the side holding the clothes of the folks who were stoning him to death. And he heard him pray, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. Don't, don't judge them for this. Forgive them. And Augustine says that the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. I love that. Is that he, he could get away from a lot of things, but he couldn't get away from a love that prayed for him. And uh, if you want to really love somebody, start praying for them. And then there's generosity. It's a love that's generous, not just with money. Sometimes that's the last thing people need. But with ourselves, it identifies the needs of the saints and makes them their, their own. Um, you remember those people who just showed up to meet a need of yours? How do you keep from loving them? You can't. And you had a need one day and somebody just showed up and said, hey, I've come to meet this need in your life and met that need. They're the people you love, aren't they? Aren't they? Giving themselves, meeting the needs. One last objective, hospitality. The word is practicing, it means to pursue. It means active in pursuit, being hospitable. Now let's apply this and get out of here. Why does love stop? Why does a church church stop loving? Why does love stop? Three reasons. We're afraid. We're afraid of being turned down, turned off. Afraid of risk. We say, I've tried that 
before it didn't work out I'm not going to try anymore we're afraid second we're passive we want to be told what to do there's a lack of spontaneity you know I've noticed that that you can go up to somebody and you can say to that person I'd like for you to do this and this and this and they'll go do it every time they're passive we're passive we want to be told the problem is the need is to be spontaneous don't wait till somebody tells you I guess the greatest reason is we're preoccupied we got our own thing going I got so much problems so many problems why do I need to get involved in anybody else's I got so many debts why do I need to take on another one I got so much time constraint why do I need to try to spend time with somebody else I'm preoccupied I got my own thing going C.S. Lewis said that to love at all is to be vulnerable if you love your heart can be broken he said why don't you take your heart and wrap it carefully around with your happiness and your little luxuries and and avoid all involvement he said lock it up safely in the casket of your selfishness and you'll be safe but in that casket safe and dark and airless it will change it'll not get broken there it will become unbreakable and impenetrable listen to this the only place outside of heaven where you can be safe from all danger all the dangers of love is hell let me paraphrase what C.S. Lewis is saying he's saying if you keep your love to yourself it becomes a living hell in E. Stanley Jones book Christ of the Indian Road he tells about a dynamic Christian an Indian by the name of Sadhu Sindar Singh and Sadhur Singh would go out across the Himalayas with some men who were co-laborers and they would witness to these people who had never heard the gospel and one night while they were out uh, a storm blew in and they knew they had to hurry getting across the mountain the Himalayas to get back before the storm and they were coming through this mountain pass and the snow was coming down and building up and they stumbled over somebody something in the snow and they began to brush the snow back and they 
found the body of a man half frozen. Sador Singh said to his companion, Here, let's get him up and let's, let's, let's get him out of here. Let's save him. And the co-laborer said, No, we don't have time. If we pick him up, if we try to save him, we'll lose our lives. I'm going on. You do what you must. And he went on into the dark. Sindar Singh struggled and got the man on his shoulders and started trudging into the night, into the storm. As he went, the man's body's warmth began to warm, and his warmth began to make Sadar Singh warmer. And he trudged through the snow a while, and finally above, up ahead he saw a light, and it was the light of, of a house, a home, of safety. And as he approached the house, he, he saw the body of his co-laborer frozen to death. Said Sadhar Singh, the first thought that came to my mind was this, he that loves his life shall lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. And he said, I realized that it was in the carrying of that half-frozen man that I was saved. Said Otho Feather, non-involvement is destroying the fiber of this country. And non-involvement is destroying the fiber of this church. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'll give us a love that is willing to risk, a love that will get involved. For I pray in Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. I'm going to ask you to make a decision tonight, if God is leading you to make a decision. A decision to get involved in the life of this church, maybe to come and place your life here, or to commit yourself, just, just be willing to do this. If you're not involved in the ministry of this church, see Ed after the service. And say, Ed, it's not possible, I know, for me to say I really care, I really love, I'm not involved. Where can I be involved? Would you do that? Maybe you want to do that publicly. We'll give you, we'll let you off the hook. We'll let you do it privately. Or maybe you need to come tonight to give your life to Jesus Christ. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.